You can take a seat. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again to Missio. Church, we're uh, excited that you're here. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the elders. Uh, if it's your first time with us, again, I want to echo what Josh said. We are glad that you are here. Uh, excited that you have uh, come to worship our great King, our Lord Jesus, um, uh, this morning. Our text this morning comes from uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. We're continuing through the book of Mark as we have been doing for. I don't know how long, but a long time, and uh, we're going to continue this march on through. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, just these, uh, these handful of verses this morning. This is the word of the Lord. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, and they marveled at him. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the many, many, many things, the countless things, the things that, that are too many for us to, to, uh, to recount, the, the things that you have done, to declare who you are, to declare your glory, to demonstrate your love, your grace, your mercy, your power. We thank you for who you are and for what you have done. We thank you for the many ways you have declared your love for us. Right now, as we look at this text, these, this short text, these few verses, we ask that by a work of your Spirit, you would open up our hearts and our minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Father, for those that are here today who have yet to understand the reality of who Jesus is, that he is indeed the Christ, that he is indeed the only way to the Father, that they have a need to be redeemed, to be reconciled, to be forgiven. Lord, I pray that today you would open up their eyes and their, the eyes of their hearts to understand their need for a Savior and that they would say yes to Jesus. And Father, for those of us who have been in relationship with you through your Son, that you would continue to conform us into his image, continue to transform us and shape us and mold us, making us righteous. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we come. Amen. Uh, many, when they look at this text, they see this as uh, one of the handful of times that Jesus talks politics, and, um, and it's easy to see that because the, the context is a, is a political conversation. They're talking about taxes. Now, you know, the other day I got, um, <laughs> I got a, a letter from the town that I live in. Uh, it was worded very nicely, telling me that my uh, my home and my property had um, been assessed, reassessed, and I should be happy that the assessment went up. 
Oh, but this, don't, don't worry, this may or may not affect your taxes. Um, hmm. And I could already feel their fingers in my pocket, right? You know, like, it may or may not, right? Like, taxes, right? Uh, we live in a, in a very uh, burdensome place here in the state of New York where taxes are one of these things. And it, it's easy to think, okay, here's one of these things where, where Jesus engages in, uh, in politics, and this is one of those places, and there's a handful of texts where people point to, and because, I'm going to say it, because people don't know how to adequately and accurately read the text, they think that that's the main idea of this text. Jesus and taxes, right? And, 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 and oh, by the way, Jesus addresses the issue, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But the, the, the main idea here is that they're trying to set a trap. It says it right there. And they sent some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Now, this is a very interesting group of people. The Pharisees uh, are, are a group of religious leaders who are strict to the law as they understand it, right? They are strict uh, to, to the law of Moses. Now, the Herodians, now we've seen them, if you remember, all the way back in Mark chapter 3. Now, I, I, I don't know where I was when we talked about Mark chapter 3, right? But it, so I don't remember who talked about Mark chapter 3. But in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through, th- 1 through 6, the Herodians are mentioned, Right? And the Herodians are a group that, that came to prominence uh, when, the, when Herod the Great right, was, was, was uh, they actually came to prominence just before he took um, power and control uh, as a Roman tetrarch. So a Jewish, somewhat of a Jewish king, but a, a, a puppet king who, who ruled uh, at the behest of Rome. And so he has somewhat of a, of a Jewish um, feel, but he is a puppet. Now, Herod the Great, he did more for the city of Jerusalem than any other ruler since Solomon. So he built up the, the city of Jerusalem in a way that was unbelievable during his, during his time. And, and the buildings uh, that, that Herod built, like he rebuilt the temple. And, and, and so the temple that was there from the time of Zerubbabel to the, to, that was rebuilt during that time to the temple that, that Herod then rebuilt, it was unbelievable the difference. Like it was, it was a, a paltry temple and then Herod, Herod rebuilt the temple and he built this palace for himself. And so when people, even today, when they think of the temple, they think of Herod's temple. And, and when they think of the, the, the grandeur of the, of the city of Jerusalem, they think of, of what Herod did. And so the Herodians are a, are a, are a group of, 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 of um, kind of political hacks who are, are favorable towards Herod and therefore have some sort of favorability to to Rome's involvement in the day uh, or in the lives of what's going on in, in, in Jerusalem. And so these two, these two groups who really have no business like being, being in bed with one another, right? They, they come together. It, they're like Red Sox or they're like Yankee and Mets fans. Like they have no business being in, you know, in concert with one another, but during the 86 World Series, I rooted for the Mets because I hate the Red Sox, right? I, I couldn't root for the Red Sox, and so I rooted for the Mets, who I can't root for 
ever. But I, I found a common interest. And in this instance, these two, right, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, who would normally never be together, they find a common interest. They hate Jesus, and they want to see him fall. And so they go to set a trap for him. They, verse 13 tells us, the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, they come to trap him in his talk. And that's, the, that's what's going on in this particular text. Now, they try to trap him by engaging him in, in a political conversation, but the main idea here is how Jesus deals with their trap, right? This is much like Mark chapter 3 when they came together the last time. It was around a man who uh, had a withered hand and what Jesus would do and how he would deal with it. And when he dealt with that, they left amazed. And when he deals with this, they leave amazed. The same thing. And they came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you are true. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now the statements that they make to Jesus here are a use of flattery, right? Now, they, they utter true statements about him. We know that the, your way is true and that you don't care what anybody thinks. Now, these are things I love about Jesus, right? These are things that, that I think are great about him. He is not in any way swayed by the opinions of anyone. Now, they're using that to try to butter him up, right? Like, they're, they're, they're taking a a, a play out of Trump's playbook, right? We're just going to flatter him, right? We're going to tell him what he likes to hear about himself, what we think he likes to hear about himself, and we're going to see if that gets us somewhere with him, right? If you're, a, if you're a big Trump person, I'm not trying to offend you because I think that was Obama's playbook too, right? It's just different. Like one is very overt, the other was very covert, right? It's, it's called ego, Right? It doesn't really matter who the, who the person is. If they have a big ego, flattery tends to work. Right? So they come to him and they, they say to him, hey, we think that you're really, really great. We love the way that you do this. Right? And for most of us, this works. For most of us, right, when someone comes and they tell us that they think we're great, man, our ears perk up right? And all of a sudden our, our calendar clears and we've got time for them, right? Where we didn't have time before, now all of a sudden we have time for them. Where we weren't interested before, now we're interested in them. We want to hear what they have to say because what they have to say has to do with us. But Jesus isn't interested in any of this, right? Jesus is not interested in this at all. Even though what they're saying is true, we know that you are true. That's a true statement. What Jesus is and what Jesus says is true. And that you do not care about anyone's opinion. That's true. And that you are not swayed by appearances. That's true. And that you truly teach the way of God. That's true. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting is that people today and and I think people throughout history, so this is not a phenomenon that is unique to today, but this is, this is something that has is, that is probably been true throughout all of time, um, at least as I've read um, people throughout history, this is what I see. Um, people approach Jesus with the same, same thing, 
And we see it today, both inside and outside of the church. They approach Jesus and they make these statements about him uh, when they have an agenda um, where they're trying to get something from him or they're trying to twist what he says or they're trying to accomplish something that they want um, and they're going to twist what he says, right? So um, we see this all the time. It's easy to point this out when, when people outside of the church do this, right? So you see this uh, right now in the political sphere, right? Um, and regardless of which side of the, of the political aisle you're on, right, you see this. You see politicians invoking um, Christianity uh, on both sides of the aisle, right? And, um, and some are saying, uh, this is what Jesus says, and others are saying, this is what Jesus says. And if anybody um, actually reads what Jesus says, it's easy to say, well, that's not really what Jesus said. But it, it's a soundbite. Right? And, and what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to push an agenda. Right? They're trying to push an agenda that, that says, this is what, what I want, and I'm going to try to pull a verse from, from a sacred text, whether it be from the Bible or it be from some other thing. I'm going to try to pull a verse, and therefore, uh, that gives me some sort of authority to say what I'm trying to say. Right? And so people do that all the time with the words of Jesus, and they try to, they try to manipulate Jesus into saying what they want. Now, it's easy to point that out out in the culture and see it for what it is. But we see it all the time as well in the church. As people, they take the words of Jesus or they take the words of Scripture and they try to manipulate them to justify their sinful behavior. Right? Well, God is a God of love. Because he's a God of love, he would want me, even though he says this over here, because he's a God of love, he would want me to be able to do this. Insert your behavioral choice here. Right? Because he's a God of mercy, he would allow me to do this. Right? And that's not who he is at all. That's not what he is at all. Because he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a God of justice and judgment. He is a loving God and he is a merciful God, right? And he sent his son to, to dispense mercy and grace to his, his children. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind about it. But he will not be mocked at the same time, right? He is who he is. He is a holy and a righteous creator. Right? And so what we see throughout history and what we see in our present day is both people inside the church, outside the church, come to Jesus with the same mindset. Right? They come to trap him. And Jesus' response, and, and really the way I've, I've structured this is really with three of Jesus' statements. Um, so, and, and the first one we see in verse 15. But Jesus, it says, verse 15, and this is in response to the question, should we pay them or should we not? Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Right? Why, why, why put me to the test? Right? Their use of flattery, their invoking um, his teaching to come out of him, Jesus is not going to have any of it. And in my life and in your life, when I come to Jesus, right, which I, I have a propensity to do because I'm a sinner, and you have a propensity to do because you're a sinner, Right? 
And, and I want to justify, or you might want to justify your sinful behavior um, by, by misappropriating part of the text to say, well, I think I can do this because of, right? Why put me to the test, right? But Jesus, you are a, but Jesus, I think you are a, but Jesus, Jesus, you're, even if I'm declaring true statements about him, right? Rather than just submitting myself to who Jesus really is, in, de- in, in, in declaring these true statements and submitting my life to these true statements, not looking to trap Jesus, not looking to manipulate Jesus, not looking to make Jesus out to be um, my genie in the lamp, but to just submitting to the kingship and the lordship of who Jesus is. Jesus, because you are true. Jesus, because you do not care about my opinion because you don't. Because you're not swayed by my appearance, i.e., my position, right? My learning, my influence, my position, my, my standing among other people. You're not swayed by any of that because none of that matters to you. Because you teach the true way of God, I will submit my life to who you are rather than trying to get you to see how I want my life to be based upon what I think rather than what you think. I'm not going to put you to the test anymore, right? Because I think we are all prone to do that, right? We're all prone to do that, both, again, inside the church as well as outside of the church. The second thing that we see here, knowing, knowing that their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a Daenerys. Right, right. A Daenerys is is a Roman coin. I've got a picture of one of them here. Right, um, there it is. Right, you see it there. Two sided coin, just like we have today. Right, nothing new under the sun. We think we're so advanced here in the in the modern world. <laughs> you know? Do you know? You want to know who has the most like backwards currency in the world? The United States of America. You go, to, you go to countries that you think are just like third world countries and you look at their currency and you're like, man, this thing is like the most advanced thing I've ever seen. How come ours is just green, right? Like, it has no fancy technology in it at all, right? Here it is. This is a denarius right there. There's Tiberius on the front, right? He's a fine looking gentleman. It's a fine Roman nose. Let no one mock your fine Roman nose if you've got one, Jonas. Let no one mock your fine Roman nose if you've got one, right? Jesus says, bring me a denarius. Now, he doesn't have one, right? He does not have a denarius. He, he goes to his pockets if he's got them. He's got nothing, man. He's got nothing. He says, bring me a denarius. And sure enough, one of them's like, oh, I've got one. Because there were multiple currencies going on in the day. They had, they had shekel, they had Jewish currency, but they had Roman currency, right? And the tax that they're talking about here is a poll tax, a Roman poll tax that was instituted by Tiberius in 6 AD that had to do with the census. Now, let's think back, right? When Jesus was born, right, there was a census that was taken, right? Think back. There's a census that was taken right around the time that Jesus was born, and 
with that census then came a tax. And that tax wasn't just a one-time tax in 6 AD around that census. The Romans decided, man, we like this tax. We like this census tax. We're going to keep taking it. So every year, they took a tax, right? It was, it was paid with a denarius, which is one day's wage. Now, it's not so that the Jews didn't pay other taxes. They paid temple taxes, and they paid various other local taxes, and so forth and so on. They didn't want to pay this particular tax because it was tied to Roman occupation, right? Is it lawful for us to pay a tax to Caesar? Is it lawful for us to pay this tax? We don't want to pay this tax, right? We'll pay these other taxes, but I don't want to pay this tax. So he says, bring me a denarius, right? And look at the question he asks. Whose likeness an inscription is on it? And so you see that there's an inscription on this and a likeness on it. And it's interesting, if you go back to the, to the picture, Scott, there, you'll see the inscription. And on the front side, around Tiberius' face, it says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus, i.e., Tiberius, son of, uh, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of God, right? And on the back, right, it shows him sitting on a throne, and it says Pontifex Maximus, the high priest. And so this coin is a declaration that the Caesar is both divine, a son of a God, as well as a priest, the high priest, Right? And so in and of itself, the denarius represented idolatry at its highest form. Right? Now, it's a coin. I'm sure that when, when we, you don't even look at the coins. Right? Now I want you to think back for a second to Exodus chapter 20. Right? As a matter of fact, Let's flip back to Exodus chapter 20. Because this is going to eventually deal with a different question. Because when Jesus says to them, whose likeness is on this? Likeness is an interesting thing in the mind or in the life of the Jewish people. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read the first six verses. And God spoke all these words saying, I And the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Whose likeness is on it? What's the inscription say? Right? And so, as Jesus is, as they're talking about, it's unfair for us to pay, to part with our money. It's unfair. Jesus is talking about something totally different, right? He changes the question from a tax, right? An oppressive tax. You're going to have to part with your money to something about image bearing and likeness. 
Whose likeness is on it? And they say Caesar's, right? But look at the likeness again. It's, it's a likeness of one who claims to be a god. And these are a people, right, who, were, who from the very beginning were told, you have no other gods but me, right? And you are to carve no likenesses of anything in heaven or on earth or under the earth, right? We are not a, we are not a likeness-carving people, Right? And so it's, a, it's an interesting thing that we see here. Whose likeness, whose inscription is upon this, right? The very existence of this type of a coin is an affront to these people. They're, they're frustrated that they have to pay, right? They don't even see that this is an affront to an almighty God. They're already participating in the system, right? They have the coins, they're participating, they're, they're, they're buying and selling with them. And Jesus is, he just pulls it out and he's like, all right? In and of itself, it's already in a front. So he says, whose likeness is it? And they say, Caesar's. And so he says to them, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And render to God what is God's. Right? Which is invoking Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Right? Because this coin, it belongs to Caesar. You think it belongs to you. But it's Caesar's because it has his likeness on it. Right? He's saying it's not even your coin. What do you mean it's not my coin? I earned it. No. It has Caesar's image on it. It belongs to him. Give back to Caesar. Render. The idea of render there is give back to that which, or the one to whom it belongs. Right? He's not saying, he's not saying go pay what is yours to someone else. He's saying repay. Give back to. It doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to him because it bears his image. Right? So, in one hand, he's saying, yeah, you can participate. You can pay your taxes because that money doesn't even belong to you. So, by the way, pay your taxes. You, you're a citizen here. You're an American. Pay your taxes. That money doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the government, apparently. That stinks, right? They're in your pocket. They're in your pocket. But he flips it. Because now he's, he's not talking taxes, he's talking about image bearing and likeness. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's a coin. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. He made it. He put his image on it. It belongs to him. Oh, and by the way, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image. In our image in the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. Right? It goes all the way. He goes all the way back to the creation. Boom. And render to God what is God's. Because I was created in his image. Right? Just as this stupid coin belongs to Caesar, my life belongs to God. Because I bear his image. Right? And my 
my responsibility as one who bears the image of God. And the Pharisees would understand what he was talking about. The Herodians would understand what he was talking about. His audience would understand what he was talking about. This is why they marveled at what he said. Because he flipped it. I'm to give my life back to the one whose image I bear. Just like this coin belongs to Caesar, I belong to God. Because I bear his image. I was created in his image. I was created to be in relationship with him. I was created to represent him. We bear God's image. Right? We give back all of ourselves as an act of worship and as an act of devotion to him. How do we render? Right? Because again, that word render that we see in verse 17, it means to give or to pay back that which is not our own. Well, in its context, because again, this is a, the very context there is tax. As followers of Christ, we do participate in earthly, governmental, and municipal procedures. So, all right, Jesus, Jesus is okay with that. But we do so as Christians, right? So if you want to think about the immediate context here, can you participate in an earthly governmental system? Yes, but you do so as a Christian, right? Your first priority is not as an American, your first priority is not as a Republican or as a Democrat. Your first priority is as a follower of Jesus. You belong to him. And so as you engage in the public sphere, as you engage in any debate, as you engage in any conversation, as you vote, as you represent, if you are one who ever wants to represent the people of your district, you do so as a disciple, as one who has been purchased back by the blood of the Son of God. That is how you do it. If you are one who is in any way out in the public sphere, and oh, by the way, that's all of us. I don't care what you do, right? I don't care what you do. Teacher, doctor, law enforcement, you know, retired, absolutely, Steve, student, baker, whatever. You are a Christian. You are Christ's people. And so, therefore, you engage those that you engage with as a follower of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I open up my phone, I pick up my phone, I, I go on social media, and I'm appalled at the people of God and the way that they're engaging. It's to our shame. It's to our shame that we misrepresent our king, that we get baited into these conversations. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that we've chosen to see our priority is to a party or is to an issue or is to a whatever over our king first. 
Number two, how do we render? Well, we render by pursuing a relationship with him, number one, and by representing him as, our life, as, as, lifestyle, as a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, right? Here at Missio, we talk a lot about outcomes and circle of accountability, right? When we talk about outcomes, we're talking about relationship, right? Relationship, representation. Relationship, representation. When we talk about the outcomes, we're talking about relationship. When we talk about circle of accountability, right? When we talk about the fact that we've drawn four circles of accountability, right? Around the city of Syracuse, around New York State, around the United States, and around the world, right? And and all of our time goes into the mobilization of Christ's people towards the evangelization of those circles of of accountability. Why? Because we're trying to disciple people to represent Jesus in those places. So we've got 500,000 people here in the city of Syracuse that need a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so a, 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 a tremendous amount of our time, energy, and resources goes into mobilizing Christ's people for that circle of, of accountability, right? Because we want to represent Jesus right here where we live, right? So we've broken down that circle of accountability as the city has it in all of the zip codes and the neighborhoods that the city of Syracuse has identified and that Onondaga County has identified so that we can represent Jesus in our circle of accountability, right? How do we take the gospel all over Onondaga County, right? How do we do it? In partnership with every other congregation that bears the name of Jesus Christ here because we are not alone. We are not alone. And when we talk about the outcomes, right, we're talking about how do we as a, as a group of people continue to pursue intimacy with Jesus Christ, right? How do we spend time with him, right, in an, in an ever-increasing manner? How do, we, how do we develop, right, a habit of opening the word and hearing him speak, of, of praying, of spending time with him and learning to hear him speak and then walking in obedience to everything he commands, How do we as a people, right, demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our relationships, in our actions, in our decisions, in our workplaces, in our homes? How do we share the story of grace that Jesus has indeed saved us, right? And that his grace continues to mark us and that we have a story to tell the gospel is indeed good news for all people, right? And that we have been entrusted with this good news, that we get to share it, right? That God's given us gifts to serve both the body and the world, and that we get to, we get to serve the body, one another. We get to encourage one another as we serve with the gifts that God's given us. And that, that together as we serve one another, we also get to serve this great city and this great community and the world as God has gifted us. And that we get to steward our lives wisely as a demonstration, right, that God in, is sitting on a throne and that he is the one who has given us everything, that he is the one who holds everything, that he is indeed sovereign over all things. And so we steward our relationships, we steward our finances, we steward our resources, we steward our time as an as a, as, as a act of worship unto the Lord, right? We're in relationship with God, and we're representing him everywhere we are, right? And that's what it is to render back to Caesar, or to God, 
what is God's. This is my life. I'm giving you back my life. And I recognize that you've placed me here as a disciple of yours, as a representative of yours. And so what we want to do as an organization is we want to come alongside of all of Christ's people, help them do those, those things. And we want to fill this place with representatives everywhere we are so that each of us can give back to God what is God's. Right? They looked at him, it says, and they marveled at him. And it's funny to me that they marveled at him because they came to him, right, and they knew, they knew who he was. Now, they tried to trap him. And every time they try to trap him, he does the same thing. He sneaks out of their traps. Whether they're trying to crown him king or whether they're trying to take him by force or whether they're trying to trick him into a thing, he always demonstrates who he actually is. He's Jesus, right? He's the son of the living God, the one who came to take away the sin of the world. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to embrace him as such, our heart's cry would be that today would be the day that you would embrace Jesus. And if you're here today and you are a follower of him, our heart's cry is that you would continue to walk faithfully with him. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna receive communion in just a moment. Father, we come in Jesus' name. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for this text of Scripture which shows us um, very clearly shows us very clearly your desire for your people, Lord. That you desire that we would give you our lives. That we would give back to God what is yours. And that's us because we bear your image. We're far more valuable than a dirty old coin. We're far more valuable um, than that which rusts and is ruined. Because you created us with intentionality and purpose. You knit us together in our mother's womb. You had us born at just the right time in just the right place to be your representatives. You sent your son at just the right time to bear the sin of the world and to reconcile and redeem your people to yourself. So Lord, we pray this morning, if there are any in this room who need to, to be redeemed through the blood of your son, that today would be the day that you call them home, that they would say yes to Jesus. And if there are any who need to repent of sin, to be restored, um, to a right relationship, to right fellowship with you. Maybe they've wandered away from you. They've been redeemed in the past but have wandered. Um, Father, we pray that you'd call them home and that you would do um, that which you do, that you would mend the weak arms and um, the feeble knees and the feeble joints and that you would restore your body and that you would build up um, and that you would encourage. Lord, we thank you. Um, that you indeed are true to yourself. And part of being true to yourself is that you build and that you redeem. You are a wonderful, wonderful God. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.